So we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. How many knew that? How many didn't know that? Nobody's willing to admit that? Okay, thank you, Jefferson. We got one honest person. Although you should know that, Jefferson. We're uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're making our way through this letter to the church in Corinth, and we're calling it, anybody know what, it's, what our series is called? Renovation. Renovation. And every week when you see the TV up here, I hope somebody's noticing, because I put a lot of time into, that there's a different picture up here every week on that title, just an example of what renovation looks like. Now, I don't know what you see when you look at this, but I tell you what I see, because I've been a part of these kinds of, of moments, and here's what I see. I see. I see my blood right there because I smashed my thumb doing something dumb. I see this board here is the fourth board that I put in because I messed up the other ones and one was crooked, and so I, this, you can't tell, but that's actually the, and this is, I'm just pretending, are you with me? I want to be honest that nobody takes me seriously, that this is actually my project, but I've been in these moments, and I see that, I see the blood, I, I see over here that that hole for the toilet's in the wrong place. It's three inches to one side or the other, and we're going to have to call our, our friend, the, the keeper of the Dungate, and come and, if you want to know what that means, talk to Andy after church. We've got to move that toilet hole over because, you know, and over here, this whole area over here is completely different because my wife changed her mind halfway through the project. And, wanted, and she got a great idea, a great idea. And so, we, so renovation is... It's interesting, right? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a it's 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 a weight. It's a challenge to marriages. Do you realize that people really struggle remodeling their house? Married couples. I spent several years working at Lowe's. Uh, we had a couple of kids in college, and so I'd get up real early in the morning and get there at five o'clock. And I worked in the paint department. And it became known throughout the store that Kurt works in the paint department. He's the pastor of a church. Is his day job, if you will. Um, and he's available for counseling because managers would walk by and they would see me at the counter with couples and trying to save their marriage, not pick out a color or get them, but I was trying to get them to agree on a color. Anybody connecting with what I'm saying? All right. So there's all these elements, right, of renovation. It's tough. It's challenging. Um, there's blood, sweat, and tears involved in renovation. But let's keep in mind the end result or the big picture of why God does renovation in our lives. Do you see the tagline of our series? Identity under construction. I'm tell I don't, well, this sounds funny now that I think about it. I've never lived in a time like this. That's kind of weird, huh? Because, yeah. But I, so let me stay with the thought. I've never lived in a time like this where identity is so under attack. And by under attack, I mean it, there's all these different voices and different ideas that are saying, this is what makes you valuable. This is what gives you your identity. This is who you are is based on blank. I like that guy. I think we should listen to that guy. <laughs> no, sounds very familiar. There's a volume control. You just, yeah. Trust me, I've been there. I've been there. There's all these voices that are saying, in fact, let me go a step further. 
we, we live in a time where it's okay to redefine identity according to our own desires. The door has been opened, if you will. Now, it's always been open a crack, but it feels like it's been swung wide open so that, we, that nothing is fixed, nothing is built on any kind of objective truth. The moment we live in is we're all free to identify as blank. We can find our identity in whatever it is that we choose to find it in. It doesn't change what I will say is the truth or the reality that we are created. Whether we believe in him or not or we've surrendered to him or not, we have been created by a creator. And a part of that creation is a beautiful identity who he says that we are. Now, sin has messed that up, right? And so we're in a battle. We're in a renovation project where God is trying to, the end game, the end result, keep in mind, is that we would have a clear identity of who we are to God, who we are in Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. So at the end of each day when I lay my head down on my pillow, the day can be a terrible day, there can be all kinds of unanswered questions, there's all kinds of insecurity, there's all kinds of fears and anxieties, and what's tomorrow going to hold, but one thing I want to be clear when I lay my head down on my pillow is who I am to him. And that's what this symbol, this cross behind us represents, who we are to him. That cross, when you look at the cross and you reflect on what took place on that cross and who it was that was crucified on the cross, it should speak volumes to us. In fact, it should give us clarity as to who we are to him. Because it gives us clarity as to who he is for us. And that's where I want to start. And the reason we're, we're calling this renovation identity under construction is because the church in Corinth was really struggling with their identity. Who they were, why they were there in the world at that time, what was their role, what should they be towards each other, what should their relationships be with the world, what does their relationship with Jesus Christ look like? And Paul is doing this renovation by the Spirit of God, and that's the invitation we're offering to God. Would you do a renovation in me? Can I just acknowledge, and I'm, now I'm talking about me, can I just acknowledge before my church family and before God that I struggle with my identity and I need to have clarity in my identity, who I am in Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. You with me? It's good stuff, right? All right, so let's talk about money. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Let's talk about money. <laughs> Because that's what Paul's going to do now. In the next several weeks, in our, this section of, of 2 Corinthians, is money. The reason I talked about identity and emphasized that is because our relationship with money says a lot about our, our, what we think our identity to be. Right? The workaholic, the one that works super hard and just has to do everything they can to provide money for themselves, for their family, does that not say something about how they see themselves and how they see their relationship with God, right? We can take all of us and we could play that out. So can we talk about money? Okay. We don't like to talk about money in church, do we? Do we? No, come on. Let's be honest. Right? We don't, we don't like to talk about money, but we're going to talk about money because God's word talks about money in the midst of a renovation. And is money a part of a renovation project? Oh, my goodness, right? That, that's a huge topic of discussion and a factor when you're talking about what we're going to remodel. 
Money plays a part in that. So this morning, I just I titled it The Curiosity of Generosity because I want to challenge our definition, our understanding of what generosity really is. So we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be if you want to open your Bibles. But as you're turning there, I want to remind us of something that we talk about a lot here at Crossroads. And it's these four principles that I believe we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to money, when it comes to understanding our relationship to money. We often talk about tithing. We talk about different aspects of how to figure that out. And there's, there's practical things that we can talk about to make sure we're healthy and we're living out our identity in relationship to money. But let me give, remind us of four foundational principles that will help us make those decisions about money. I think it'll also help us as we walk through our text this morning. And the first one is generous. Throughout the word of God, we see we're called to be generous. And we're going to talk about this morning, that this morning, generosity. But he also talks about being consistent in giving. Now, let me be consistent in talking about consistency. We're not all paid at the same, in the same ways. We all don't get our provision in the same ways, right? Some get paid twice a month, every other week, once a month. If you're a farmer, you get paid, you know, at the harvest, you know. Um, you win the lottery. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, you, you, get a, you get a bonus. You get, I mean, there's all these different ways that God provides for us. So consistent, if we take what Paul says in a couple other places, it just means whenever God blesses me, I give to him in response. Does that make sense? Consistently means I'm always thinking of that. I'm consistently going, wow, look at this money. Honey, what can we do with this money? Or, wow, look at this money. God, thank you. How can we be generous to him in this moment? You with me? Okay, consistent. What do you think about intentional? Intentional just means God comes first. He's always wanted to be first. He always is first. He's always wanted us to treat him as first. Would you agree? First fruits, first of the harvest. In other words, he gets what it is that we've decided to give to him before. You, you still listening? before all the other things that are important and a part of my life. That's kind of scary sometimes, think about that. We decide, Becky and I decide, here's what God's going to get from this. We're going to give him a gift of worship before we decide what to do with it or even meet our needs. We're going to give it to him intentionally. He gets it first. He gets the best, right? Amen? And then joyful. Hey, not too many of you are looking joyful right now. So joyful, he gives us this consistent principle of giving joyfully. Generously, consistently, intentionally, and joyfully. So if you're making decisions about your relationship to money, start with this foundation. Start with this, and then if you're married as a couple, you walk through, okay, what does this look like for us? Can I tell you how much money a month is generous? I can't. I can't. But you can with God's help, right? Do you, do you see the, the, the intimate journey we can take with our money? Filthy lucre, you know, this money. Anybody sometimes feel like, ah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a necessary evil. Let's make it a good thing. Let's make it a God-honoring thing by taking a journey with our money, asking these questions or using these principles to make the decisions that we need to make as a couple, as an individual. You with me still? Okay, you're still glad you're here and we're talking about money, right? 
So let's look at our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1. If you have your Bible, it will be on the screens behind me as well. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is the northern part of what we know as Greece. Okay? Where is Corinth? They're in the southern part of what we know as Greece. Achaia is what it's called. So he's talking to them about churches up, in, up north of them. We want you to know, we want to make sure you're aware about the grace of God. The grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. What is the grace of God that was granted to these churches? During a severe testing by affliction. You still tracking with Paul? Are you? The grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. A severe testing by affliction, persecution. persecution. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty... I want you to know about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Severe testing by affliction and deep poverty. You still tracking with Paul? Are you? Okay. And their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. The word generosity means liberality or sincerity. We can say that generosity, we could define generosity. Well, hold on. I'll tell you that in a minute. I want to hang on to that. This sincerity, this liberality. I testify that on their own, speaking to the churches in Macedonia, according to their ability and beyond their ability, speaking of their financial situation, what they had, their resources, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. From other writings that we have in Paul, something's happening. Well, we know what's happening in Jerusalem. What's happening in Jerusalem? persecution, economic, physical, all the levels of persecution. And Paul is trying to raise money to benefit the believers, the church in Jerusalem, the birth of the church. They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will, according to God's will. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. And then he describes this setting that they're facing. Here's what's curious about generosity. It's birthed in poverty. Now this this really strikes at many of our definition of generosity. And the idea that I will, when I have something to give, I will give. Right? When I have... Don't raise your hands. But how often do we go, if I have extra, after I've paid my mortgage, my rent, and I've paid my bills, and I've you know, done the things that we need, and I've put some money in savings, and then, oh, look, God's given me some extra. I'm going to be generous. Yeah. Thank you, brother. How often we think of generosity as extra, as abundance, like I have something to be generous with. And yet what's curious, according to this, this, circum, this situation, he describes, look at this, severe testing by affliction, an abundance of joy in the lives of those who are under severe testing, and, and the, the realization, the reality that they're living in deep poverty resulted in a wealth of liberality, of generosity. If I wait until I have enough to be generous, I will never be generous. 
Because it's not, about, it's not about this, right? It's not about what I have. Can you see that it's really about my, my attitude or my understanding of who God is and who I am to him? Is God sovereign in the midst of my severe testing? He is. As I walk through the fire, he's there with me. And I realize that, and, and I'm, I'm facing these difficult times, and yet there's this abundant joy in my heart knowing who I am to him, who he is to me. He's got me. And then I look at my, my, my checkbook, and I realize I don't have a lot of resources. So at that point, we stop thinking about giving. We stop thinking about being generous. Because we're... Come on, Kurt, don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to give of my time, my talent, my treasure, because I'm telling you, I'm in a really tough spot. And I, and I, I know God's good. Yeah, I get it. And yet Paul says the churches... The followers of Jesus in Macedonia meeting in these churches were experiencing this and the outcome was a wealth, an overflowing of generosity. Isn't that curious? It certainly challenges my thinking. Generosity is birthed in poverty. Generosity is a reflection not of what I have, but what I don't have. Isn't that curious? Generosity is not determined by the amount. If you don't believe me, listen to Jesus. Isn't that what he said? These guys gave a whole bunch of money and made a big deal about it. This lady over here gave hardly nothing. Who was more generous in God's eyes? The lady who gave a little bit. Why? Because of what she had left. You know, well, God's got to be impressed with, you know, my giving. Because I'm giving hundreds of dollars. I'm giving thousands of dollars. I'm generous. Maybe. And I don't want to, maybe you are, and so I want to honor you if you are, but maybe not. You, you still glad you came to church this morning? Talk about money. Generosity is not measured by what I have. It's measured by what I don't have because generosity, the curiosity of generosity is that it's birthed in poverty. It's birthed in, in lack. Jesus told his disciples, that lady has almost nothing, and yet here she is giving. She's being generous in her poverty. Come on, as Americans, as Californians, we have this standard of living, right? That this, this entitlement, and we like pointing fingers at other people and going, oh, they, yeah, they want help. They're so entitled, and, and there's, there's plenty of that to go around. But let's make sure we don't stop by also looking at our own hearts and going, wait a minute, I'm entitled too. I have an expectation of a standard, a level of living and when I get to that level of living, when things are the way that I want, then I will have space and I'll have room to be generous. And Paul kind of blows that up by saying poverty is the birthplace of generosity. It's a recognition. It's not about what I have. It's what I don't have. I don't have my needs met. I don't have everything that I want. I'm not living the life that I want to live. But in this moment, that is where the Holy Spirit says, okay, Kurt, what about being generous with what you have? Generosity can be defined here. I told you I wanted to wait. Generosity from that word in our text is giving without hypocrisy. It's giving without hypocrisy. It's genuine. It's sincere. It's liberal. There's a liberality of just giving. It, we'll see in a minute that we give in the way that we've received. 
Generosity is giving in the way that God has given to us. Can we amen that? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you're so glad you're in church. 2 Corinthians back, verse 6. So, Paul says, we urge Titus. Titus has been a part of Paul's team. Um, He's been a messenger. He's been one that's carried money back and forth. He's carried other stuff for Paul. And he's been involved in this collection of, the, of, of money for the saints in Jerusalem. And so he says, we urge Titus that just as he had begun, he was a part of the Corinthians process, or journey being a part of the gift. So he should also complete this, say it with me, grace to you. This idea of being like the churches in Macedonia. Maybe you don't have a lot of resources, but you have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing by giving to meet the needs of someone else, the Christians in Jerusalem. It's grace. It's an act of grace. It's a moment of grace. So we urge Titus that just as he'd begun this journey with you, he should also complete this grace to you. Now, as you excel in everything, as you continue to grow, and it means just to abound and overflow, as you are growing and you're excelling in everything, faith, speech, your convictions, what you believe, how you talk, your knowledge, how you're growing, what you're learning, and in all diligence, in all the areas that need attention, and in your love for us. Isn't that interesting? If you've been here part of this series, 2 Corinthians is really about Paul's relationship to this church, isn't it? He goes from big picture theology to, hey, wait a minute, you and I, remember this is what's happened, and Paul acknowledges this relationship he has with this church that it's built on love. He acknowledges their love for, for him and the other leaders. In the same way, I want you to abound. I want you to excel in this grace as well. I'm not telling you this is a command. You tracking with Paul? You awake? Okay. Rather, I'm not commanding you to do this. Let me approach it this way. By means of the diligence of others... I want to compare you to the churches in Macedonia. I'm testing the genuineness of your love. You said you wanted to be a part of this. Titus came and told us you want to be a part of this collection for the saints. You said you love this. You want to be a part of it. So here's how I'm going to test the genuineness of that commitment that you've expressed. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, through his poverty, you and I might become rich. So here's another curiosity about generosity, that it's built on grace. It's built on grace. Now I'm not going to accuse anybody, but I'm going to throw it out there. And so if any of us need to wear this, let's wear it. How often have we given, whether it's a birthday present, a gift for someone, our time at work, our gift to God at church, how often is that based upon what we think of the people receiving the gift? Well, I don't like what the leaders are doing. I hate these green chairs. You know, I just, come on. I don't like the, the, I don't like the volume of the music. Ah, And don't, again, don't raise your hand, but how often do we then let that affect our giving to God? Our relationship with our wife and birthdays and anniversaries I know I'm touching sensitive stuff, but birthdays for our kids or whatever, a friend for a gift, being willing to help somebody move. Well, you know what they did? Yeah, no, I'm not going to give my Saturday up for them. You with me? Can we kind of wear that personally to whatever our circumstance is? How often is generosity built on merit and whether or not God's doing what I want him to do 
or people are being what I want them to be. And generosity is more than money, right? It's your time, it's your words, it's, it's your time, talent, and resource. You still glad you came this morning? I hope so. This is, this is good stuff, right? It's hard stuff. And it's been hard for me this week, but it's, it's good stuff. The curiosity of generosity is that it's built on grace. And what he does here is he first talks about, he compares, he compares, he compares the church in Corinth with the churches in Macedonia. Didn't know there was a good opportunity to compare. Usually we say don't compare ourselves to other people. But he says, I want to test your level of commitment, your diligence, your love, by reminding you that the churches up in the north of you are following through on their gifts. They made a pledge, and they're doing it. And I want Titus to help you do the same thing. You made a pledge. You said you wanted to be a part of this. Now follow through. And if that's not helpful, which it is, but let's say we need to ramp it up a little bit, let me remind you, Paul says, about Jesus Christ. Let's compare ourselves to his generosity. And then he makes this incredible statement. Though he was rich, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, I might become rich. Now, we're not talking about money, right? Jesus didn't give up his bank accounts. He also didn't not, he didn't cease to be God. Philippians 2, right? He let go of some things. He didn't let go of being God. He can't. He can't stop being God. He was pre-existent before his birth God, and he will be forever God. And in his time, in a human body on earth, he was still God. He didn't give that up. But what did he give up? He gave up a lot of what he is worth, meaning he gave up the worship of creation, didn't he? He stepped out of heaven where he sat on a throne and everyone worshipped him for who he was and then he stepped into human form and all he experienced was rejection and ridicule and pain and misunderstanding. People, his own people, his own disciples not getting who he was. You with me? What did he become poor in? He became poor in the worship of who he was, the recognition of who he was, the honor of who he was was are you the king of the jews you say i am are you greater than our father abraham before abraham was i am you can see it all through the gospels of him just accept and and i'm reading the gospels and going punch him in the face jesus you know smack him in the head come on let peter drown let him go to the bottom let him let him at least hold his breath for a couple of minutes before you pull him up because they don't get it and he gave that all up sitting on the throne in heaven being recognized for all that he was and all that he had done and he said i will lay this all down and i will step into a body human body and i will become poor i will no longer be isaiah chapter six remember isaiah six is that Isaiah 6, the, he was high and lifted up in the throne in the smoke? Is that Jesus? If you're not sure, read the Gospel of John because the Apostle John says that's Jesus sitting on the throne. And he's there and they're, day and night they're just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's rich. He's recognized for who he is, rightfully so. He's worthy of all praise and glory. 
and he lays that down and he becomes poor. And in his poverty, his poverty is that he's walking in a human body and he's hungry and he gets tired and he's rejected and he's misunderstood. His own family thinks he's nuts. Nobody gets him. Nobody can see who he really is and what he's worthy of. And he says, I'm okay with that. I'll lay that down. I'll be poor. Why? So that you can be rich. See, one day I will be in his presence and I will be in a glorified body and I will experience creation the way he intended us to experience it with no sin, no weeping, no hunger, no limitation and I will be there forever in his presence to worship him. I am rich, folks. I'm telling you, I'm rich. And I'm rich because he was willing to become poor. So Paul says, I want you to understand that generosity is built on grace. Because I have purposely in the last few minutes not used the word grace. So that hopefully in your heart, as you've listened to these last few minutes, your mind and heart would go, why would he do that? Why would he become poor for my sake? Because I deserve it. Let me be over here. No, okay, thank you. Because I'm a good guy. Come on. We're going to be married next in two weeks for 40 years. Yeah, right? Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come on. Right? That's why. Because she, that's why she's going to heaven because she put up with me for 40 years. No, 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 no. Why? One word. It's because it is built on, say it, grace. He became poor so that we could be rich. And any of us, the opportunity, the call is for any of us to come in faith to him. And he will make you rich because of his grace. Because of his grace. If you're hanging on to anything else, I don't care if you know Jesus or don't know him. And you're just here this way. I'm glad you're here. But whoever we are, if you're hanging on to anything else for the future other than God's grace, you're going to be really disappointed. Can I say it that way? Because he became poor for you so that you could be rich because of his grace. We're all in the same boat. The metric for generosity, how do I measure generosity? It's love. The motivation for generosity is grace. And the model for generosity is, is Jesus. Verse 10. Now I'm giving an opinion on this because it's profitable for you. Here, let me translate. We're talking about money on Sunday morning in church because it's, for our benefit. Okay, I'm just agreeing with Paul, okay? You still glad you came? Okay, not everybody, okay. I'm glad we came. I'm giving an opinion on this because it's profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something in this whole journey of collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem, you, be, you began to do something, but also there was a desire, there was a, an, an enter, a passion, a zeal that you would be a part of this. Now finish the task as well. There's a principle here, right? It's great to make a commitment to God. It's great to, you know, remember the campfire around the campfire? We're going to have one at family camp in a couple of weeks. Sit around the campfire and you make commitments. Remember youth camp? Remember Kumbaya? Anybody tracking with me? Am I too old? You know, it's great to make those, you know, a decision card. It's great to make decisions. But it's even greater to actually do what you decide. Right? Don't just do something, desire it, act on that zeal. Finish the task. 
that just as there was eagerness to desire it, you were all excited, you were committed, yes, I want to be a part of this, so there may also be a completion from what you have, that you would actually act on giving from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has. We're back to that, well, someday when I have enough, then I'll give. No, take a look at what you have right now. See, it's very small. The amount doesn't matter. Can you say that with me? The amount doesn't matter, right? Are we in agreement with Jesus? Generosity is birthed out of poverty. So you just take a look at one what has, not to what he does not have. Oh, one day, if I just get that job, if I have more money, when I make more money, then I'm really going to be generous. No, you won't. If you're not generous with what you have now, you will not be generous when you are more wealthy or more resources. You won't. That's who we are. Generosity is birthed in poverty. It's based on grace. Not according to what he does not have. It's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you. This is not a redistribution of wealth. This is not a political statement. It's not a political system. But it is a question of equality. And the word equality would probably be better translated equity. The idea that we all have skin in the game. That we're all part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not about you having more, me having less. It's not about me going through trial, then you going through trial. It's, it's not a redistribution. It's not, you know, it's not a commune that we're all you know, equal. Even in Acts 5 when they were doing that, it wasn't so everybody was equal. It was so that everybody had equity. Everybody was a part of what God was doing. And if I have extra, here, go. And, when you, and you don't, here, and then you do, great. It's not about making everybody equal. It's about all of us seeing ourselves as a part of something bigger than ourselves. I'm a part of this. I have equity in your life. You have equity in my life, spiritually and other, otherwise, that we're discovering life together. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need. That's the current situation. So their abundance may also become available for, for our need in the future. So that there may be equality, again, same word, equity, as it has been written. And then he takes them to the Old Testament. The person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. Anybody remember what this moment is? This is when they were in the wilderness. What? Yeah, that funny food on the ground every morning, manna, right? Don't try to take too much for a couple of days. It'll just spoil. The person who gathered, the person who gathered much... Oh, I got a bunch of kids, I better get, you know, they didn't have a bunch left over, they had just what they needed. Or the person who gathered too little wasn't thinking about guests coming over tomorrow, and so they're, oh, we're not going to have enough. And guess what? They had enough. Here's the last curiosity about generosity. It's based upon commitment. It's birthed in our poverty, it's where it needs to stir in us and start. It's, it's built on grace, and then it is based on my commitment, my willingness to trust God. Whether I have a lot or little, well, that's mine now. You ever do that? You ever look at your resources? You look at your bank account and go, wow, thank you, God, for blessing me. And, and you have all the, what did I say, wah? Yay is what I meant to say. And all that, man, here's what, man, now, the, and, and it's all about me. It's not about him, his faithfulness. The practice of generosity is individual obedience. How do we become generous people? How do we become generous people? One obedience at a time. One obedience at a time. 
one paycheck at a time, <laughs> one blessing at a time. Are you with me? That, it's, it's personal obedience. If you're married, it's together, husband and wife. If you have kids, bring the kids into it. Guess what? God bless us. I got this big bonus. Woo-hoo, we're going to Disneyland. Maybe, but first, let's, how can we bless someone? How can we give to God? How can we be a part of, you with me? It's obedience. It's individual obedience. We'll never be a generous church if we're not generous individuals. Number two, the purpose of generosity is corporate identity. I hope you saw that in Paul's writing. It's the churches in Macedonia, the churches in Achaia, the church in Jerusalem. We are the body of Christ. And who's watching what the church does? The rest of the world. Some of you might be first-time guests this morning, and you, you're hearing, you're like, what's this church thing all about? You've been watching the news, watching the media, watching relationships of people who, that you have that claim to be Christians. You're looking at the church from the outside in, and that's good. You should. And even be, if you're here this morning, you should be, okay, what's this real, what are these people really like? What is their identity? And in talking about money, Paul says this is a matter of corporate identity. The purpose of generosity is that God's people would reflect God's generosity. He became poor so that I could be rich. He expects his children individually and corporately to be that kind, have that kind of testimony in our world today. The church, the the gathering of believers, those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, should be characterized by generosity. And we're not always, are we? And then the promise of generosity is God's faithfulness. Did you see it? You gather too much and you'll have just enough. You gather too little, you'll have just enough. The premise is, I took care of you in the wilderness. I provided that for you. I'll meet your needs. I'll be faithful. I love this prayer in Proverbs. Don, I'm wrapping up. This prayer in Proverbs. This guy named Agor, Agur. And there's a long uh, prayer declaration, but I love this part of it. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? (laughs) I did this. This is a result of my own hard work. Or I might have nothing and steal profaning the name of my God. Either way, we're not acknowledging the faithfulness of God. When God blesses you with abundance, what do you do? You acknowledge his faithfulness. When you're in poverty and you have needs, what do you do? You acknowledge his faithfulness. Because the one who gathered much, the one who gathered little. You still tracking? We're still talking about money. Let me close with this. Here's some questions. Where do you see generosity in your life? And I, and I urge you to do this. We've got to celebrate better, folks. Celebrate where you see generosity. It's not about pride. It's about acknowledging that God has worked in you and conformed you to the image of Jesus because Jesus is generous. So as a husband and wife or as an individual sit down and say, is there any evidence of generosity in my life? Yeah, right there. Pray it. Thank you, God, and celebrate it. That's the work of God. Can you agree with me on that? If you do that and go, oh, <laughs> that's right, I'm generous. No, you missed the point. Identify where you're generous and then celebrate it. Number two, how is God stirring generosity in you? Listen to God and then act on it. But you gotta be quiet, you gotta be still, you gotta sit down and say, okay, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm growing, and, and where are you telling me to be gen- Where are you telling me to give my time, my talent, my treasure? Where am I not doing it where you want me to be doing it? Are you with me? 
Give him your attention. How are you stirring generosity in me? And then finally, what is hindering generosity in me? I, I know he's been speaking to me. I can identify the area, and I have just not been willing. Why? Don't answer out loud. Answer to him. You've felt the conviction. You've felt the leading of God. Be generous with your time here. Be generous with your money here. Be generous with your talent here. Take what you have given you and invest in other people and give it liberally. Give it without hypocrisy. No strings attached. Nothing in return. Just give it. Why aren't you? It's a good question. What's in the way? Identify that. I want to invite our worship team to come up. As we contemplate what God has spoken to us this morning and you respond in your situation, let me close with this thought. The curiosity of generosity is this. You just gotta open up your hands. And if we're honest this morning, many of us can say, I got that time, I've got that money, I've got that talent, and I'm doing this with it because it's mine. I worked hard for it. I don't even like those people. And so this is mine. And generosity is just opening up your hands and saying, God, can you see the picture? Can you picture yourself doing that? Just, God, here it is. I'm done claiming this is mine. I'm done trying to keep control of this. I'm, I'm, I'm done trying to hoard this. I'm done burying this talent in the ground. You gave me five. You gave me two. I want it to be used to make more because I want to be generous. And so, God, here, you, here, here it is. Remember the little boy with the three... Five loaves, three fish. Yeah. Father, thank you for your spirit speaking to us. In the moments that are before us, we have an opportunity to let you in and let you do a renovation in our heart, in our thinking, in our finances. As we sing, as we lift your name up, God, would you continue by your spirit to help us see what it is that you want to do in us and through us. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.